dick to other people. We're trying not to be really hard. Just do your best, which is what we're doing today. We're trying to, to be a little more positive on our podcast today. So no uh, talking about death and destruction or illness, sickness of the planet or people on it. We're going to focus on favorite things. What are our favorite things? Well, I mean, death isn't necessarily a bad thing. No, it's kind of a rebirth. It can be a nice thing, depending on the context. It can be. Although, not to get too weird, I have been doing this Marconics training, and it makes me feel like I'm already dead. It really makes you feel like it's taking away different layers and life has a different meaning. But I'm trying to understand what this means, even as the words come out of my mouth. I think Awesome. And I think getting weird right away is what our listeners have come to expect. Nay, demand. So, yes. Well, I'm learning lots of interesting things about spaceships. Uh, this lady told me there are spaceships waiting outside of the area at the moment. And it's like the Pleiadians who are helping rebuild a destroyed world, which could be us. I don't know. I don't really get it all, but it's fascinating stuff. And I love Sounds it. Sounds like a good read if it were a novel. And one of my favorite things books. And I've actually come to realize that most of my book collection is nonfiction, which is hilarious because I've been writing this stupid fucking novel for five years. And most of my books are nonfiction, either because they're about my other favorite things, wolves, horses, indigenous culture, magic. And also I started buying a lot of books nonfiction books because of the novel that I'm writing. There's actually one sitting right next to me and it's just called Psychedelics. Nice. Well, and you know, it's interesting. I'd love to hear more about the Psychedelics book because when I was a young lady, I loved the Electric Kool-Aid Acid Trip, which is all about the Grateful Dead and the 60s and the beatniks and the first time acid really came around and all the experiences. It's almost how they kind of created this whole new world that we live in through their trip. There's a really good uh, series of documentaries on LSD and mushrooms, psychedelics in general. There's some ranging from like people who were making LSD in the 60s and talking about their experiences. And there's documentaries about like the science behind a trip and what actually happens physically to your body. And then there's spirituality documentaries about like the spiritual aspects to tripping. And I think all of those things together are really important. And I think as we move forward, Oregon has just legalized mushrooms for medicinal use. As we move forward into this new psychedelic age, we really need to be paying attention not just to like the hard science, but also the soft science, the social science, also the spiritual parts. And I think that all of that together is going to create this wonderful new world of treatment for people. I agree. I think that it should be multi-level and coming in from different areas because instead of like our current treatment that just treats symptoms or trauma, this actually goes into layers and it can actually treat like what this woman does. It's like layers of your soul are being peeled back. And if you believe in other lifetimes and the things that have happened in your other lifetimes and how you carry certain trauma from lifetime to lifetime, Things like mushrooms or this kind of, it's not hypnosis, but it's like a Reiki on an ethereal level. It, it really can be helpful if you come at it more from all the different angles instead of just like, this is painful. Let's make it stop. Yeah. And I think with our healthcare in general, and especially our mental health care, there is not a lot of focus on prevention. And I think as a society as a whole, we don't like to focus on prevention. We like to treat symptoms of a larger problem. Crime is a symptom of a larger problem of poverty, wealth inequality, inequality in general, racial inequality. There's no reason that someone whose life is together is going to join a gang. There's obviously something that's driving them, and usually it's poverty, to do things that are illegal to survive. And so I think if we as a whole, as a society, start moving away from let's treat the symptoms of a larger issue and say, you know what, why is this happening? How did you get cancer? How did you develop PTSD? Let's go back 
There's no money in that, though. This is where there's a divide because so many people are going towards this more holistic approach to life in general. But this was a system that was created and it's working exactly as it was created. Rockefeller was an oil dude. And he realized that he could also create lots of pharmaceuticals. He actually canceled a lot of information about anything that was natural. If you were a doctor talking about nutrition or anything that was from the earth, you were basically blacklisted. So this was created. It is working exactly as it was created. Pharmacia is here. Remember how we were going to try and sit positive? <laughs> Shit. That's right. It didn't work. It's hard. It's hard because there's so much shit going on on the planet right now. And how do you stay positive? I mean, we are. How do you stay positive? You try and focus on your favorite things, which is how I try and get through my day. Um, today, I got a molecule of serotonin from the free photos that I had printed at CVS or Walgreens. I don't even remember. They're the same thing to me. And putting up those pictures gave me some some serotonin and I it was funny because I was thinking about doing it and then I was like oh I, I forgot because I was also doing my stretches and my morning routine and brushing my teeth and I was like what was that one thing that I was excited about doing and then I like stopped and I looked at the other pictures on the wall and I was like right nice I, I obtained a single molecule of serotonin well right back all day. It's kind of your imagination too, though, because it's pictures of your home forest and it helps you when you're, when you're, you know, getting exercise to kind of imagine play into the world that you miss. And I think imagine play into a world that you miss is a super important thing to do right now, because if this whole 1221 portal thing is real, it's all about writing a new world. And if we could write a new world, we should focus on the beauty and the things that we love, because that's what we we want our new world to be. We want it to have balance. We want it to be of the earth. We want it to have art and play and all of those things. So I think it's good to think about what does make me happy right now. Play is one of those things that I really think we don't emphasize enough in our culture. I think more people need to understand that you don't have to have children to play. I think people don't play until they have kids and they play with their kids, but you can play. No one is stopping you. And I think as a culture, we need more of that. And I have told you, if we ever win it big in the lottery, I have this brilliant idea to bring play back into society. And I think that's a great idea. I mean, I look at climbing gyms, which is something that's on my list of things I really want to get into because climbing trees, I still climb trees. When my girlfriends and I go hiking, we climb trees, we jump into water and they're like six I think they get it because they've they're staying young. The the older no longer old in a sense because they're remembering I have to play, I have to move my body in order for me to get more time in this gift of a body. I need to be enjoying it and playing. And when you play, you feel alive. You actually the serotonin is like bing. And we need that. We need more of that. People are struggling so hard with depression. It is such a hard time to be alive, to be a human in this world. And we need to play more. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've recently been watching different people on social media and there's this seems to be this divide and this notion that we shouldn't be sad right now, that this has been planned. Well, it's interesting because it was a a fairly progressive person um, that I really like found humor in for a while. And he's recently been saying like putting a a mask on that says sheep and like just different things that didn't sit really well with me. And then also falling into this, the election was rigged idea where actually mail-in votes are, you can actually track those better than a regular vote. It's true. Oregon does 100% vote from home. Yeah. And there's virtually no voter fraud. It's been like this for years. Yeah, because you actually have a number. Yeah, you can track it. And there, I had to take a picture of my voter card when I went in, in person to vote. And my sister had like a text, an email, and a, a letter notifying her that her vote was counted. That's a lot more confirmation. I got that too. I got an email, a text, and a phone call. Yeah. But you guys are both West Coast voters. Yes. And that makes sense. It does. The West Coast is the best coast for so many reasons. And one of those reasons is that we tend to be more progressive and more forward thinking. 
Well, I mean, the West Coast has always been sort of five years ahead of everyone else. And it is sort of the gold rush of like always ahead, whether that's technology or it's gold or it's fashion or whatever it may be. They always are a little bit more forward thinking for whatever reason. I think it's that energy there. I honestly do. I think it has everything to do with that natural source of energy. I don't know. Maybe it resonates from the fault line. I have no idea, but it is a a solid source of energy that flows throughout the West Coast. And I I feel like people, whether they realize it or not, tap into that and sort of just ride that train forward. Well, that's why so many people moved to the West Coast. And even I moved out there for a while. And you definitely feel a part of that flow. And there does seem to be magic and things do seem to happen for you that I can honestly say don't happen for me as much in the South where I feel a little more downtrodden, I guess. It just feels harder to do everything, like weighted down. And what's interesting to me is that I have noticed that when I am on the West Coast, time seems to slow down and I feel like I can do more in a single day than I can do in a week. I can do something, I'll plan out something for the day, I'll do that thing, and then I still have like nine hours and then I'll do something else and I still have hours and hours and hours of time. It's fascinating because the idea of time is it's very much a man-made division, mostly wrapped around work or whatever to create calendars so that people punch clocks. I don't know. Um, So it's definitely a created thing because it really doesn't exist. Theory that time is relative is very true. And it's interesting because most people will say that time flies when you're having fun, but I have experienced enormous joy and fun in a long day. It didn't just suck right through the day. I didn't have a great day. And then, oh my God, it's already time to go to bed. No, it was like, I'm having a great day and it feels like this is lasting forever. And I feel like I'm going to be in this day for the rest of my life. And I'm happy about it. Yeah. I felt that way, especially when I came to visit you. I mean, we were like climbing up a hill and then we were in a beautiful gardens and then we had amazing food. It almost felt like we traveled to like 10 different countries while we were in one state. And then, you know, and it was like, it was endless days, but I wasn't exhausted. I was invigorated and great food, which that helps. And remember that weird fucking tea shop? Oh, that, I swear we like went through different times. And I mean, there was story. Yes. Well, I mean, we were just like wandering and we both all of a sudden really wanted tea and we needed a little bit of a kick uh, because we had been like walking for miles and having just this beautiful, blissful day. And magically this beautiful tea shop appears. And when you walk through the entrance, it's like you can feel that the entire atmospheric pressure has changed the whole world around you. It's like you have literally went into another dimension. It really felt like as soon as I walked in there I almost felt high and when we stepped out because we had to put our name in and he he rang a little bell when our name was ready but while we were waiting and we stepped outside as soon as we walked out that door it was gone yeah and I was like are they pumping something into this tea shop I feel so strange I had that yeah there's a tea shop here um that I've had that experience as well and it's very quiet you have to take your shoes off they take you to a little section and then everything that they do there, they do with such intention. It's the whole idea of the love behind something. And I do believe that it can transform an experience. I mean, of course, we have a lot of love for each other. So it's magical when we're together. But then when you are around people who put so much love into what they're doing for you and total service, then you get another level of high. And I have experienced that in so many restaurants in Portland. There's so much love and care that goes into food. And it's, I think, because the restaurant industry in Portland is so extremely competitive. Yeah. That if you're not excellent, you're out. And uh, there was this one taco shop and they're closed for the pandemic. And if they don't come back, I might have to, I don't know, cry an entire river. But I was just talking to Alex about it. And it's its one of those places where they hand ground the, 
the corn to make the tortillas and they make the tortillas in house and everything on the tacos is specifically chosen to blend together. And it's one of those places where you never would ask for something off of the taco unless you were allergic to it because it pairs together in a way that even though you might not love every single ingredient, it pairs together in a way that it is absolutely the best experience culinarily you could have. So I agree. I just went to a place here and I had the most amazing salad and they put things in there like cilantro. I'm not a huge fan of just like gobs of cilantro. Okay, so that's genetic. It is. And obviously we got that going on. But we I normally am like a little, uh, you know, about it. And they paired it with like lime and mint and all these things together. And I was like, wow, I didn't even notice that was in there. I thought it was parsley. I knew it was the cilantro, but it was not making me want to barf. Yeah, I've had that experience too with cilantro. In general, I hate it. But if it's paired really well into the dish, it, it'll yeah. work. I don't have that like taste like soap thing. It never tastes like soap to me. I just don't. Yeah, it doesn't taste like soap to me either. I just want to puke a little. Not a lot. It's just a little. It's it's a low grade vomit. Yeah, I accidentally got uh, cilantro pesto once and I usually get a basil pesto and I love basil pesto and that cilantro pesto was horrible. I didn't even know you could make a pesto. I mean, I guess it makes sense you could make a pesto with cilantro, but it sounds just wretched. Yeah. Okay, so obviously things that make us happy would be food. (laughs) Pesto. Real pesto with real basil. I can just eat like handfuls of basil. It's the best. But books, which we would love to hear from our readers, what they're listening to or reading. I've been listening to a lot of books. Uh, I started reading this Pleiadian code last night just because I want to understand what these beings are that are supposed to be communicating. And a lot of times when it comes to that stuff, I just think it's imagine play, which unlocks things in your brain. But this was really interesting experience that felt real. So I want to understand some of these other dimensions and worlds that I do think are sort of living adjacent and with us. I really love the idea of uh, exploring different dimensions that that we could be in another dimension that's layered on top of our dimension that we once we die can experience more things that we can't see while we're living under the veil of of this life that once you die you're sort of freed from that and you're able to experience things in a way that's impossible. Right. With your living brain. Well, because I, I do believe when you're born into this veil, there's so many controls that tell us how we're supposed to breathe and live and think and feel and operate that there could be other things going on, but we're so controlled that it's very hard to unlock those other parts of our mind even that would allow us to see other worlds or play in other dimensions. Yeah. And I also kind of wonder when people have kids, if they were to like raise them in a way that they could access more of that. I don't know if that's possible because society is such a heavy influencer. And then there's the concept of the collective conscience, which is if you somehow were able to raise your children away from society as a whole, the collective conscience is still an influence you're still tapped into. And even if you're not directly experiencing these social constructs, that they're out there and they're still pervasive enough that they yeah I actually saw a really beautiful demonstration of that on a table I think they poured like sugar and then they started playing this rhythmic sound and all of the sugar created and it was basically to understand what collective consciousness is like and all of a sudden the sugar is all working in this beautiful pattern together but they how in the world would these different particles even know to like create a star and go into these different like angles and it's it was to explain collective consciousness which is easy to understand when you like all of a sudden you see a a really trendy shoe and then like all of a sudden it's everywhere you have a thought like organic food and then all of a sudden it was everywhere those kind of collective consciousness things I think we notice all the time but the underlying ones um, aren't as pervasive And so I don't think we understand a lot of the conditioning uh, we're starting to that may be put there for a reason. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I do think that there's a lot more to it that that we need to, there's 
so many areas of research that are neglected because they're not funded because there's no money in them. And I feel like if we could move away from this whole greed-based society where money and the pursuit of making money and having money and buying things is the be-all end-all, that we could really move towards a society that funds initiatives that expand our consciousness, that create togetherness, that allow us to experience things that we just simply can't do right now. I believe that we're going to have to get to a place and there is research that supports this because if we continue with AI, which I don't think a lot of people realize that the vaccine that was created was created by AI in two days. And then they took the next nine months to roll out the physical testing and that sort of thing. There's so much AI going on. We're not as aware of it. It could get to the point where there's not as much need for us to work so hard and have more time to research and play and do these other things and develop ourselves as human beings, as opposed to just like scrubbing toilets and serving food. There are pros and cons to this idea. We would have to become more of a socialized system because some people wouldn't have money saved and new people being born wouldn't have a job, so to speak, like trying to figure out like we were talking about before, just covering people's basic needs and giving them the ability to develop what they're going to do for society. I really think we're losing out by not allowing people to not work. I think we are losing out because a lot of these menial jobs can be replaced and should be replaced. I don't think people necessarily need to work. They can find something to do that they'll contribute to society in other ways. I don't think that the concept of self-checkout is horrible. I do think it's bad because I don't want people to lose their jobs because there is no safety net. But I think moving towards an automated system should be giving us more freedom to do more instead of taking away people's jobs and making them impoverished and able to do less. I mean, if our society valued people more than money, this would be a wonderful thing. Less people have to work. More people can explore and play and create and innovate. In my head, I've been like, I have to tell our viewers because we've mentioned a few different shows and different things that we really love. But there is a movie that I watched with my children when they were young. And to me, it is amazing. And it's called The Last Mimsy. I don't know if anyone has ever seen it. Essentially, it is like, so we have to, I have to go back and rewatch it because it's been so many years. But it's that aliens forget how to love and they send this teddy bear into these children's lives. There's a tetrahedron. They get to like see into these other dimensions and worlds. And it basically gets you to a place where this sort of utopia does exist, where people are teaching each other, you know, like you'll have classroom outside and you'll learn about trees and you'll learn to levitate and you learn to fly. And this is like another world that's sort of between humanity and the alien world. And that's kind of like the place that I would like to hang out. And I feel like I would love to get there, but I don't know how long that takes or if I can even do that in this prison that I'm living in called Earth. Well, Oregon does have an outdoor school. And I think about that and I'm like, why wasn't I a child there? I mean, I kind of, my son says all the time, you were the last great generation because there were no cell phones. And I did my, my, I learned everything I know from running through fields climbing trees, uh, sneaking out to local little quick stops and talking to the elderly. And I I just it was like a free range child. Uh, you know, I'd have to use the payphone to get a hold of family members. I didn't know where I was for hours upon hours. And now people are terrified. And they weren't worried. And, and you know what? I miss that. Cell phones really started becoming a bigger thing when I was like a preteen teenager. I didn't have my first phone until I was about 14 or 15. And so when I was young, I would go play in the woods and play in waterfalls and run around with my friends and go biking. And no one really worried. I would tell them the general direction and where I would be and when I would be back and I would be and it was fine. And I miss that. I miss not being able to be reached. And I love that about wilderness areas that don't have cell signal. Because I mean, I know it's dangerous not to have cell signal because what if you get hurt? Fuck you. The idea is I want to be away where no one can reach me, where I can be truly free from 
everyone and everything. I don't want the internet. I don't want anyone to be able to call me or text me or ask to take up my time. I want to be fully present in the moment in a way that just can't happen when you're attached to a cell phone. I agree. And you know, you're not going to die if you're completely disconnected from all of the world like we figured out and already knew, but we were near Lost Lake and taking some back roads and all of a sudden slam hit a big chunk of ice and spend the night in the car and nobody knows where we are, but we survived. We had a great time and it was great. We had good. And I feel really bad because Alex was terrified, didn't know where we were. Well, and the whole time he was the only one we were really worried about. We weren't worried about us. We were worried about him. No, no, we were having a good time. We were laughing and joking and, and looking at the stars. And is that an airplane? Are they looking for us? And and it wasn't a scary thing because I knew that we were a, a few mile hike away from a major road, which would probably have cell signal. If not, we could flag someone down. And I wasn't scared because I knew that as soon as the sun came out and it warmed up, we could go just hike. And and we did. We hiked up to the top of that mountain, got cell signal, called everyone, told them where we were, and it was fine. Yeah. But being able to disconnect is something that so many people and especially children aren't doing enough. And I think it is causing so many fears because they're, they're not leaving home, not just because they can't afford it, but there there's also a whole generation of of kids who are terrified to 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 leave their parents home to explore because they didn't do that as children. They'd never experienced like pure exploration, pure freedom. And you know what? I never really thought about it that way, but I have always had a kind of explorer personality. And I have to wonder if that's because ever since I was super little, maybe like three, four years old, when we moved into our new house, my brother and I, our house was the only house in the development. And so everything else was undeveloped land. And he and I would just wander around in the woods and and, in fields and catch tadpoles in lakes and all sorts of things. We just frolic around. I never really thought about it, but that must have really shaped my personality. And I never really thought to consider kids that never had that experience, how that would affect them as adults. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I don't know if there's any scientific correlation, but to me, I've lived in both of those worlds where when I was very young, I had total freedom. And I mean, I was pretending I was flying in trees and, you know, squishing bugs and setting them free and had a blast. And then I went into when my parents' television took over and they started seeing like, you know, murder, rape, kidnapping. Then they, you know, as I got older, they were super, super strict and wouldn't let me do anything. And I was, I was just in awe of what happened in my own little time frame. I was like, wait, I'm free. And so I, you know, left at 17 and continued that free spirited life. But I see even though my children, I allowed them to play and, and run free. They did have cell phones at a younger age. They did, you know, they have had this like constant communication with me. There's not a lot of freedom away, even though I would love to give them more of that. And I think that does give people the ability to cultivate a sense of independence in a way that kids now probably don't. And there's a lot of articles they'll blame helicopter parents and maybe there's a little of that but I think also maybe some of that is just kids aren't doing these things anymore. Back to the last Mimsy. It's really giving folks an idea of a world that we could live in if we embrace technology in the positive ways, but also return to a more wholesome, um, it's kind of using the best of every generation and dispelling of the evils of every generation and creating that sort of utopian-esque world, which who knows if we'll ever get there. Maybe that's what the idea of heaven or the next consciousness, leveling up, whatever. But then there's also the idea that we could level up while here. Like maybe I'm in heaven or I'm in hell. It's just a perception change. And then I would pop into this other world just through my own perception change. Just simply by understanding a framework, a new framework, I could create the new framework, if that makes any sense. Silence. Another favorite of mine is silence. I really, I enjoy like the beginning part of the day. I just sit and stare at the window with my hot beverage 
And silence is, as I get older, has become my friend. There is really a beauty in, in stillness, not just silence, but stillness that I don't think people appreciate enough. Sometimes just going to a quiet place in the woods, sitting next to a stream and enjoying nothing, letting your mind wander, just existing. Yeah, I think that would, you know, those are sort of the makings of like a Zen or meditation is the whole idea of quieting the mind, getting rid of the monkey mind, all the things that we have to do, all the things that keep us busy, but doing nothing. Um, You know, people who think they have to be doing stuff all the time are missing out. It's such a beautiful thing to just do nothing. I think we need to teach that. I think a lot of people don't know how to do nothing. And I think that should be something that we teach kids is how to be quiet and exist in a comfortable place to be comfortable in your own mind. Well, that's a lifelong lesson in uh, of living in the moment, because that's how little we know how to live in our skin in the moment in pure joy or pure sadness or whatever the emotion. I do think that more people need to get comfortable with uncomfortable emotions. And I think people have problems expressing and feeling uncomfortable emotions. So they'll just lock it up tight and, and shove it into a deep, dark, twisty place as opposed to just being like, yeah, I'm fucking sad today. And today I'm just going to sit with my sadness And I'm going to allow myself to be sad. Or today I'm furious. I'm angry. I'm going to run and be angry. And I'm going to think about what I can do about the things that I'm angry about. I think people really just need to accept those unpleasant parts of themselves as as part of themselves. And really get comfortable in sitting with unpleasant emotions. Well, there's a whole thing in the spiritual community where it's like embracing the dark side and the dark is the light. And, you know, it's just how you look. Are you in the shadow? Are you in the light? They're the same. There has to be light for there to be a shadow and there has to be shadow for there to be light. And so it's, it, it's absolutely true. Like my kids have said to me when I'm like, what's wrong? Can I make it better? It's like, no, I'm just pissed and I want to be pissed. And I'm like, oh, that's true. Why should I? I always be trying to make somebody happy when it's not even realistic. I'm not happy all the time and I shouldn't be happy all the time. Or I'd be like some strung out housewife on Xanax. There's this concept of toxic positivity, which is I am going to be positive. I am going to be positive. I am going to force myself to be positive and I'm going to tell everyone around me to be positive. And that really just kind of erases people's genuine pain when you try and come around and like fix everything and make it better and all these little platitudes like we're not going to talk about that because it's sad we're not going to think about that because it makes you angry we're going to avoid all the unpleasant parts of life and you can't that's not how life works yeah and and we shouldn't try to and and there was another thing that I heard recently that I know that I do and I'm gonna stop I like shouting out to my own dark side is that I used to think that I had to make everyone else feel understood. And so when they would say a story, I would say something to sort of collaborate with that. If it was, oh yeah, and then I felt this way when I went through that, but that's not actually real active listening and allowing a person to just be completely heard because it's injecting myself into every scenario as opposed to making them feel better about their scenario. It's okay to like have that pendulum of give and take when you're in a conversation, but when somebody is like really pouring their heart out to you, I'm learning to be more of like an active listener as opposed to somebody just injecting my emotion into that experience. And I think that's a normal way of conversation and different cultures have different um, sort of faux pas and, and, and ways that conversating is, is appropriate. And in some cultures, uh, that's very much the norm is you tell a story and I relate to that. So I tell you my related story and make, you know, to try and make you feel like you're less alone. Like I know what you're going through. I've been there. But sometimes you're right. People don't want to hear your bullshit. 
they have their own bullshit and they just want to know that you're there for them. Yeah, exactly. Which can be hard because a, a lot of the ways that people relate to each other is by comparing similar stories. Okay, so back to loves, things that give us a serotonin. So uh, I love, of course, the weirdness, the witchy, the the hooky, the kooky, the hookier and the kookier, the better for me. Any kind of meditation or spiritual practice. I love learning about all of them. When I was younger, I would devour anything I could find. Um, and then and sort of adapt and create my own versions of of those sort of things. And so it's just creating a sort of sanctity or ceremony in your everyday life. There's a certain beauty to ritual. And I do think that as human beings, we're very ritual oriented. I think that's why a lot of religions um, use ritual. And I think that's what uh, one of their main appeals of organized religion is the ritual. And I think that is something that we could use a little bit more of in our lives. I think there is magic in ritual. And I think like most forms of magic, it's very personal. You can create your own rituals. And I think that's sort of where traditions come from. And I do think that's why a lot of people enjoy their traditions. We like to joke that traditions are peer pressure from dead people, but they're rituals that give people comfort and joy. And I have not really had any big traditions passed on because I really didn't grow up in any sort of culture. So I have created my own rituals, my own traditions, and I have no intention of passing those on, but they're just for me to enjoy. Yeah, I mean, it kind of goes back to the idea that, you know, there, there is no longer, uh, this is no longer the time of the guru, and that looking outside of yourself for things, it's really just like what works for you. But what popped up to me when you said I was raised without culture just reminds me of the whole idea of many people from other cultures are persecuted, because I think white people are jealous of the fact that they have culture, they have history. And there's a certain beauty that is missing in the white, I don't want to call it culture, but the, you know, in, in the raising of white hegemony. Yeah. And, you know, I see this a lot when it comes to indigenous cultures and I've always been very careful not to do this myself because I have an enormous respect for indigenous people and their cultures. And I not participated directly in any ceremonies, but I've gone to a lot of powwows and I support them in wherever I can. I buy indigenous made goods, crafts, beadwork, socks, but blankets, anything, what have you, and fry bread. Oh, I love fry bread. Um, and fry bread itself is something that comes from a, a colonizing place. Uh, and the history of fry bread is very depressing, but it is however tasty. And I, I love and appreciate a lot of the different tribes' cultures, different individual cultures. Uh, there's a tendency to paint indigenous people in the Americas with a broad brush, but they couldn't be more different Absolutely. than European cultures in, in Europe, different countries in Europe. They couldn't be more different. And so I've enjoyed learning about the different people who came first, the first nations of this country. And I do think there is a tendency to romanticize, almost exoticize and fetishize those people in their culture. And it's wildly inappropriate and it needs to stop. Yeah. Headdresses are sacred. Stop fucking wearing them as costumes. Well, you'll see that at festivals where people think that they're connecting with an indigenous tribe. And then what they're really doing is they're appropriating and it's very inappropriate. And it does take, um, it does take some of the the not sanctity but it's not a spiritual practice if you're dancing half naked with indian paint quote unquote and a headdress and and you're driving down the street with your dream weaver whatever not dream weaver but yeah yeah you know it just but I mean, I did grow up a little bit thinking like, oh, this is so amazing. I'm in so in awe of these cultures. I would love to be able to be like that. But I didn't myself like dress or do any of those things because it felt wrong because I felt like I don't have that right. But I did see the lure in it where it would be like, oh, I want to be like them. So I want to wear the moccasins and I want to wear the... And it's a slippery slope. There's this really bizarre um, Lakota festival in Germany where a bunch of white people with no tribal affiliation or even permission 
put up these festivals fetishizing the Lakota people. It's fucking weird. And it's gross. You know what you could do instead of that is you could go to a powwow. You could go to a jingle dance competition or a, a numerous amount of things that indigenous people have been doing for generations. And, and, There's also this weird sort of, and it makes me uncomfortable, that it seems that white people fetishize the point of contact and they don't want indigenous cultures to evolve past that point. And they don't want to celebrate their their current culture and, and there's current indigenous artists who have been working in fashion and they don't want the current modern fashion that's indigenous people's work that's part of their culture they want to fetishize the 1800s dress they want you know the buckskin and the feathers and it's like these people aren't stagnant in a certain point of their culture they have moved past certain things and it's weird to have like to want to trap them in a certain time period it's like creating a circus okay and i'm not and and i'm just i just kept thinking that it's like you know you go to the zoo or wherever and you look at something that seems exotic or something rare that's beautiful that you don't necessarily understand or have in your life and so you want to observe and keep it sort of encaged or encapsulated in in an ideology that you think it should be because that's romanticized and all of those things that you said we all evolve and there are a lot of practices that were just destroyed too that will never get back uh and a lot of the indigenous people are trying desperately to connect with those and then create new because like you said we're we're all evolving too and it's not just being trapped in one place. You know, we're, we're moving forward. I see a lot of white people do this and they think that they have some sort of right to do it because they're like one 100th Cherokee or something. And so they fetishize different parts of weirdly conflicting cultures, like different tribes. They'll mishmash together all sorts of different things. And, and it's like they, they dress up. And I mean, we were talking about the want to play and to pretend, and that's fine. But when you're pretending and playing to be a different culture, that's a line that needs to stop. Yeah, I mean, I guess, um, because, you know, I remember my favorite teacher growing up had hair down to her butt, and she would be Pocahontas, this like Disney idea of what Pocahontas would be. But she would also really explain um, what was done to indigenous people. And she did go into more detail about the heinous atrocities that took place so she had an appreciation and she was educating so you know we've been supposed to have a little bit of everything in our bloodline but I never claim anything even though everyone that meets me thinks oh you're this you're that you're this you must be like me is kind of what my face says to most people which I think is great because I get welcomed in to every festival and every culture because they're kind of like are you me (laughs) which I love because I don't know who me is in some ways in many ways and learning about all of the melting pot of of everybody is is kind of where I'm at but not appropriating or trying to say that I am something that I am not is something I've never been a fan of right because it's not authentic and I think you and I share that uh need for authenticity I don't know how to describe it It's super bizarre. I remember being a little kid and getting furious with people when they would detour in their personality, which is when you're little, people try on different hats. You know, they learn that that's how you become who you are as an adult is you sort of try different things and see what you really like. But I was always so confident in who I was as a person that I kind of thought everybody else knew who they were. And so when people would start acting really different and trying different things, that were like outside of their set personality it would bother me because I thought it was inauthentic and really it was because I was like seven 
Like, don't change. <laughs> yeah. And I do think that's part of it. You know, there's a fear of change. And I think maybe that's also a part of why people appropriate certain cultures from certain periods. They don't want to see how white people's colonization has changed their culture. They want to keep this little diorama of what things were before that happened. They don't want to acknowledge the impact of cultural and physical genocide has had on these people. Because then you'd have to start looking into murdered and missing indigenous women and rates of alcoholism and suicide on reservations. And you don't want to talk about that. No, we just want to go see people dance and make turquoise jewelry and provide what we want from them and not realize that the entire way that they lived and and this is not just indigenous people this is you know african americans this is anyone that was used for the european colonizers needs or not needs but like wants or i mean it's just fucked i don't even know how to put it into words it's just fucked and seeing how this is echoed out i always want to see there is a purpose that god or the creator or the goddess or whoever had in doing all of this maybe there is some higher purpose and I will see that someday that this brought all of us together somehow like at the end result is that we are the melting pot and that we all get to create this new world together I don't know it just doesn't feel like there could be any justification for this level of heinous atrocity and that's why sometimes veering away from the happiness happens because you start thinking about all of these things that have happened that are still happening and you have to wonder are we in the bad place Is this a punishment? Right. I mean, it feels like Hell Loop City when you're waking up and you're working to survive and everything that was created around you is for greed and profits. And there is a certain level of pain and suffering. Once your eyes are open, you realize there's a lot of pain and suffering in every action that we take. And how do we remove ourselves from the system? It's really hard to not get trapped in this idea of this is a bad place. This is a punishment. And you kind of have to focus on what am I supposed to be learning from this? What are my lessons here? And I think that's kind of what we were trying to talk about today is is the things that we can focus on instead of the doom and gloom that surrounds us, you know, the little tiny things that give us joy, pesto, books, documentaries about LSD, meditation, spiritual practice, yoga, puppies, animals, your loved ones, the things that make life like it's what you focus on in some ways too. I mean, don't ignore that these atrocities happen. Definitely try to make changes in your life and in the world because we are a collective consciousness and that does echo out to the world. So it is the bad place and it is the good place. It depends on where your focus is that day. I, mean. I also think that these concepts we have as human beings, good and bad and evil and righteous, are just so black and white. And the reality is that life is shades of gray. I always say that I, I really want to teach this to my niece. And one of the things I plan on doing when she's a little older, because she's two and she's just not ready yet, is to just give her two choices to hold up two things and have her pick from one of two things and then reveal a third thing that's better than the other two things. And then just have her have that experience where a unit didn't ask if there was a third option. And then a lot of times in life, people will tell you it's this or that. But most of the time, there's another option. There's a third path. There's another way to get through. There are murky shades of gray. Things aren't so solid. Well, it's, it's the idea that this is a duality planet and a polarity planet. That's kind of where that I was talking with that woman who's doing the Marconics. We live in this good, bad, right, wrong, sin, evil, good, whatever. And and the, honestly, that isn't realistic. That's not where our souls live. We actually are living in a lower vibration and frequency when we live in that sort of polarity. When we get outside of the polarity and see option three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, then we're living at a higher frequency. And I think we're starting to see that now. And I like the the concept of gender because we're seeing more people of different genders and before it was like you are a man or you are a woman and culturally historically that's not true there have always been other genders
genders. And now we were sort of seeing the non-binary, the gender non-conforming. And when you look into it on a scientific level, it's super fascinating. And I love the X and Y chromosome are not the be all end all. There is a gene called the SRY gene that usually lives on the Y chromosome, but sometimes it gets stuck to an X chromosome. So you can have an XX male, or if it gets stuck to an X chromosome, you now have an XY female because without that SRY gene, that Y chromosome is just a weird X. And that's what a Y chromosome is. It, it has a deleterious effect. That's why it's a Y and not an X. It's, it's literally just losing genes from a section that makes it look like a Y instead of an X. We're really not that different. And when you start looking into endocrines and hormones and different therapies for different illnesses, a lot of people expect females to react to a medicine this way and males to react to a medicine this way. But then you start looking at real people and there's more than two sets of data. There's more than three. It gets to the point where it's not just your genitals that define who you are. It's a lot of other things. And I think we as a society are starting to move towards that murky shades of gray where you don't really need to know if someone is a man or a woman. What does it matter? It really right. doesn't. And, and the other thing that is interesting in that embracing the idea that there are very feminine and masculine qualities in everyone and also other qualities that can't really be defined as a masculine or feminine. And and that's where I sort of fall. It's not even that I feel androgynous, which I do kind of feel at times, but that I can connect with that masculine, that feminine, and even other non-gendered qualities. And it's funny because I, I always take, you know, they'll make, have those little online quizzes, are you more masculine? or feminine and I always come out almost exactly 50-50 and I do feel that way like I do feel like I have traits that are considered masculine and traits that are considered feminine right and I think it's really weird how we label traits as masculine or feminine and those things change over time it used to be really masculine to wear high heels now it's not used to be really masculine to wear gowns now it's not and so what's masculine and feminine has always been in kind of a flux and you see that with like baby colors pink for girls and and blue for boys was actually the opposite. Pink was considered light red and red associating with blood and passion was for boys and blue was associated with the Virgin Mary and that was for girls and then it switched and now we have this idea that pink is girl and yeah. and blue is boy and other stupid things like sense. Um, sense not- cannot be masculine yeah. or feminine but they will market sense towards men or women which doesn't make any sense. Flowers do not have a gender okay? Flowers Right. Are like dicks and vaginas most of the time. They have both the pistol and stamen. They are both masculine and feminine in a flower. Flowers are not for girls. Right. Well, and I mean, they I just love the exist on their own. Very they don't get masculine fuck about men you. like uh, Jason Momoa, Aquaman. He's so into pink. And a lot of that pink is changing. And I've always given men flowers because I think a plant for a house is oxygen. I mean, it's, it's good for you and it's beautiful and it should be in any person's life. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. And kind Kind of breaking down those constructs that are stupid, that make zero sense and have zero factual background that feel very inauthentic. I've always kind of beaten against those. One of my favorite things that pops up around this time of the year because of gift giving and toys is the gendered toys. And it's a flowchart. And it says, is this toy for a boy or a girl? And then it says, <laughs> is this toy operated by your genitals? And if you say yes, this toy is not for children. I love that. This toy is for either boys or girls. Yeah. It's really weird to define someone by something you hide in your pants. Yeah. And by the way, there are women with penises and there are men with vaginas. And there are people who have both. Always been true. No one's going to fight you here. Trans rights are human rights. Fucking fight me on that. I am really excited that we've been able to do this podcast. And we've always talked about doing a project, writing a book, whatever. And I just, I I love that we've been able to do this. It's kind of forced us to get closer, I think, because we have to talk to each other every week. And there have been times in both of our lives where we've sort of drifted because life is complicated and hectic and chaotic. And we would always just come back and be like, you know, however many months had gone by and it would be like no time had passed at all. But this is 
is nice. This is nice. And I get to see your face. And we talk all the time on the phone and we text each other. And this gives me so much joy and it has bonded us. I mean, when I think of something, I'm like, oh, Raven would love to hear this. I've seen Raven video games. I see Ravens everywhere. And I'm always like, oh so giddy and excited but also just things that I think of every day that I before I would be like oh I really want to tell you this but then I wait and then forget because other things come up yeah because life is complicated and hectic and chaotic and I do the same thing where I'm like oh so-and-so would love this and then I forget but now that we're in the habit it's almost like a habit too like in the habit I mean, literally, I think I fall asleep and wake up to like, what are you doing? What's going on? Where's this? Holy shit. Did you see this? What the fuck? You know, so. Yes. And that's really nice because especially right now with everything that's going on with my dad, it's nice to have like an extra bit of support during this turbulent, turbulent year. I agree. And it had turbulent. It had. And you know what? That's what I really fucking appreciate you, about you is you have always been there for me when it counts. Oh, that's so sweet. That's <laughs> true. Well, I do say that to my closest, dearest friends. I'm like, you can't always count on me to grab the beer. You can't always count on me to have the fucking fun. But if you need me, you know, I'll be there. And that to me has always been like a devotion. Like when people need you to be present, like you can drop. Yeah, you're there when it counts. And I try to do that with my friends as much as possible. I have a personal issue with asking for help. I have always had this problem. So I don't really tell people what's going on unless they ask. It's a beautiful lesson. And my friend, my lifetime friend that you know, too, uh, Sinya would always, um, and I knew her as Sharon, both are her names. She would always tell me that it's actually surrendering to be able to share those things with people and humbling. But to ask for help is asking to receive. And that's a practice that a lot of us don't really have because it's not ingrained in our culture you're supposed to work for everything and suffer for everything and to ask to just be given or receive and have help even though all of us would help one another it's kind of built into us to like want to do that for each other but it's very difficult to ask for any kind of help it is very difficult but it's also very healing one of my good friends actually we were hanging out we hadn't seen each other in like three months because of covid and and she just asked me you know like took a genuine interest what was going on in my life I broke down in tears because it had been so long since I'd seen her and it had been so long that someone had really stopped what they were doing and like we were talking about how you a lot of times will try and interject your own things into someone's experience to try and relate it was a moment where she just was there for me honestly and openly and listened and I felt so heard and seen I just broke down well I think that that's something that the basis of this podcast was that the concept of being heard and seen. And I think that that's huge. I hear a lot of therapists now saying it since we've started this podcast. I've heard a lot of gurus say it. It's a part of that collective consciousness. Once one person gets it, we all get it. But more than anything, that authenticity, the ability to actually be seen for all of the flavors that we are, not even like dark and light, just all of the onion, all of the layers. And to actually, you know, be able to be who that person is, be held, be heard, be seen. It's, It's where we're headed. And it's a great thing for humanity. And so I do think that's what it was. It was I had felt seen in a way that I hadn't felt in a while. Um, And I do think it's really nice to be able to talk and see each other like this. But there's nothing like seeing someone in person and having those experiences. And it had been so long because I haven't been seeing people because I've been trying to be safe that it was just almost like a transformative experience. And it really made me realize that there are people who have my back who are there for me if I just open up a little bit more than I normally do. I do believe that when this veil, and this is a little bit off topic, but I do believe when this veil leaves, that we're all going to be so happy to be in each other's company and have adventures to see each other, to hold each other, to witness each other, to have these real depth. I can only imagine because so many people right now are just starving for the companionship that maybe we'll be better listeners. Maybe we'll be better people from all of this in six months. I really hope so. I genuinely hope so I think something good could come from this. So many people have lost their lives, their livelihoods. I really want something good to come out of this pandemic because so much horrible 
bad things have happened that we need some kind of consolation prize. Well, part of me does think that there is sort of this frequency change that's taking place on the planet and that the pandemic is giving us something to focus on because we would all be going insane if we were all having these shifts in consciousness and feeling all of these things and we didn't have something to blame it on. And so now we have this pandemic, which is forcing us to go inward, be inside. But then it's it's also like if there is this shift in consciousness happening and this Quarian age is happening, the, the pandemic is almost like a gift in a sick way that allows us to focus on something outside of ourselves to explain all of this internal stuff that's taking place. I mean, a lot of people are dying. Right. I see a lot of unrelated to the pandemic strife going on in my own life and in the lives of those I care about. There's a lot of turmoil and a lot of issues and problems that are happening that would be happening pandemic or not. And you're right, having something else to focus on and to sort of, you know, everyone loves to blame 2020 for to be a terrible year and I don't think that's a bad thing. Let's let's blame 2020. Let's let's basket it all together, wrap it up with a big bow, throw it in the trash, and next year let's let's move forward on something better. Yeah. I like that idea. On that note, if you have topics and you want to get online with us or you want us to talk about a subject, please email us at icufm at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter and Instagram. We love spending this time with our listeners. We love getting feedback. We love shouting out to those who are listening to us on a regular basis and giving us ideas. We love our listeners and we appreciate you going along this ride with us during this very turbulent time. This is ICU. UFM. This is the good place.